Coyote Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. Goldfish is an electronic duo originating from Cape Town, South Africa, now residing in San Diego, California, consisting of Dominic Peters and David Poole. They create dance music containing elements of house, pop, jazz, and African music. The band has released a number of albums, including Late Night People, Perceptions of Pacha, and Get Busy Living. They were named Best Pop at the MTV Africa Music Awards in 2014. Their sixth album, If Summer Was a Sound, is released in the last quarter of 2023. Up next on Slepsvant, we've got Dominique and David from Goldfish. Where do we find you in the world? How are you doing and what's happening in your life? Dave first. Sure. Well, thanks for having us, firstly. And uh, so we are both in San Diego currently. Mm-hmm. And uh, although we've been traveling quite a bit the last month, so we've kind of vaguely been in San Diego, but we are based out of San Diego for the past seven years, in fact. And yeah, it's been a wild ride. We moved here. You know, we love South Africa first, mm-hmm. just to just to put that there. We didn't leave South Africa because we didn't want to be there. Yeah. No, it was just absolutely killing us traveling over to the US all the time. 30 hour flights, time differences, like big ones. And then just, you know, needed to be here so much. It just, it made complete sense for us to move here. So seven years ago, we, we made the jump, the leap and, uh, it's been cool, but, uh, yeah, we still always miss home. Of course. Dom, how are you doing? I'm good. We just got back from Houston. It was 104 degrees yesterday, roughly 40 degrees centigrade and wow. humid AF. Uh, <laughs> yeah, got back, got back late uh, last night. Our flight was delayed by four hours. We were hating life a little bit, but it's good to be back in San Diego. And like Dave says, uh, uh, when we were looking at the places to live in the US, it was like, where is the place that is most like Cape Town? <laughs> and San Diego came up tops. It's a beautiful city. Uh, gives us the best of everything as far as our lifestyle. We love to surf, mountain bike, be close to the action. LA is just up the drag, but further enough out of it that we can still kind of be chill. Um, I call it the golden retriever of America, and it really is like that. It's a beautiful place to live. We're very happy here. Cool. So, guys, let's take it all the way to the beginning. So, Dave, first, at what age did you decide that you want to be in the entertainment industry, and how did that accumulates where we are currently basically i had very supportive parents to start off with it's the the ripe age of six years old i started playing violin and it was horrendous (laughs) i was really (laughs) later on in life when i was a teenager i called it violence because that's pretty much the sound of a six-year-old like hacking away at a violin um, unless they're like a a prodigy whatever you're a prodigy which I definitely was not, uh, but it got me in. It got me into the music vibes. Moved over to cello, and I was like, "Oh, this sounds a bit cooler." And then I was like, mm, "Maybe not." Moved on, and I I forgagged all of that. And then once again, my my folks were like, "You must play an instrument." So I got taken to this magic room um, of this uh, dude in Somerset West, where we lived at the time, and uh, Duncan Coombe, he's actually still doing music, and he had this room of musical instruments that were just like wall-to-wall, and I, I looked around, I had this epiphany moment as a 12-year-old boy, I saw this like 
saxophone. I was like, oh, and I grabbed it off the wall. And he was like, cool, you can hire that from me. The only problem was like the whole top section of the horn was like literally strapped up because it was broken. And it was the only way I could use it. So I took that thing home, gave it a bash. And I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, fast forward a while, you know, suddenly I was playing an instrument that wasn't that you didn't have to play classical music, you know, and I was, yeah. I was a youngster and I was like, wow, wow, there's some other cool music you can learn to play out there. Started playing jazz when I was like a teenager and, and that really kind of like struck me, you know, the, the feeling of the blues just as a style and a, and a chord progression of the music was, I think, one of the f- first things that really grabbed me. And I grew up with, um, with Albert Frost in Somerset West and his dad, Frank Frost had the, the blues brothers, okay. the blues brews, sorry. Yeah. And they used to play all over the place and they, uh, you know, unfortunately, Frank's no longer with us, but Albert's still like rocking out there. We used to play together in our first band, and I used to go and watch you watch the Blues Brews play and, and go to their house, and they had this amazing collection of just all this incredible music. And you know, I think uh, that a lot of that kind of really like sucked me into the music, and like really like the feel of the music, and just the the just amazing culture of of music and blues and jazz and. Fast forward to leaving school and it was like a while back. There weren't a lot of opportunities going down and I left school and everyone was like super negative. And I was like, well, hey, if I'm not going to have a job, I may as well do music and not have a job, you know, instead of like doing something random for yeah. me at least. So, you know, went went to the, you'd go accepted to the University of Cape Town to the jazz degree there. And honestly, that was that was huge because that's actually where I met Dom. I was a couple of years ahead of him and, you know, we started playing together in a jazz band and that really kind of was the initial catalyst to Goldfish, Goldfish's like journey. You know, we played for a couple of years in the jazz band. It was really cool. And, you know, we discovered that we both had a another love and that was like electronic music. And at the time, there was such a cool sort of wave of electronic music coming out that had started using the same kind of ideas that hip hop had had kicked off in like the 80s where they were they were sampling old records and they were making you know their their beats from that kind of stuff and then these guys were sampling old jazz stuff and putting house beats to it and making cool stuff and obviously having now been jazz musicians for i don't know like since i was 12 13 really we've had you know 12 15 years of being indoctrinated into the whole jazz world and it's quite a serious like vibe and then suddenly there was this this magic music. It was like another one of those saxophone moments. It was like, oh, they've, they, they're mashing up house music and chill out music with, with like real instruments and, and like jazzy inspirations. And it was like, and I think, you know, Dom and I, we, we had a gig out in Rubik Valley. Yep. And we just had to drive like an hour there, an hour back every Saturday for this gig. It was an amazing gig. And we'd play like CDs to each other because we had a CD player in the car. Yeah. And uh, wow, I feel like super old now. Anyway, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we kept on playing these cool things like Saint Germain and Cooter and Dorfmeister and Fatboy Slim and Jamiroquai and all these like real kind of hybrid artists who had like taken all these cool things and mashed them up and, I think though that really kind of inspired us and we were like, Hey, let's, let's make some tunes. Let's do it. And, 
we got together, we started producing some tracks. Um, I can hand it over to Dom. He can tell you about the magical machine he found that kind of also kicked this whole little journey off. Okay. So Dom, before you get to the magic uh, machine. Sure. The magic machine. Let's hear about your journey meeting up with Dave. <laughs> up until yeah, the so magic Dave, machine. <laughs> <laughs> up until the magic machine. I'm dying to hear what that was. Uh, similar to Dave, started at six. My mom got me on the piano and immediately just fell in love with music. It was just my escape from everything. I wasn't particularly sort of social as a kid. I think I was slightly on the spectrum. I probably still am. So I wasn't really good socially at school. I used to just like go and play the piano in break. You know, everyone's out there playing cricket or rugby or whatever. I'd be like, I don't know how to do those things. I'm going to go and sit at the piano. And I think that just, I just dove into the world of music. And um, I think I discovered what I thought everyone had was um, a form of synesthesia, which is where color and music kind of correspond. And I noticed that uh, all the notes of the scale in music had a color for me, at least. And where I hear that note, I see a color or it feels like a color. I don't really know how to explain it. And I thought everyone had that. I thought that was how we all heard music. And it was only when I sort of tried to share with someone uh, like, uh, you know, one of my buddies and he was like, no, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and um, I, I kind of got way into it. I was probably like seven or eight and I got, I like was drawing uh, with a felted pen on the, on our family piano at home, the color correspond. I got into a bunch of trouble. My mom was not stoked. <laughs> Nothing a little handy and he didn't get out. But uh, that <laughs> kind of started a thing. And uh, same as Dave, actually, my piano teacher came to me one day and said, yo, uh, we need cello players for the school orchestra. And I was terrified of her. I was like 11. And I just said, okay. <laughs> uh, next thing I knew, I had a freaking cello I was carrying around. I was like, this is not good for my PR. I was already a kind of a quiet little kid. And now I'm playing cello. It didn't really fit in with the look. I played that and I, I think I was kind of good at it. And then I said to my mom, hey, I, I don't really, I'm not really feeling this vibe. And so she said, well, why don't you try the double bass? I'm like, thanks, mom. An even bigger instrument. This is really going <laughs> to help me blend in at school. Uh, I went to a very sports-centric school. So it was, you know, I was just that guy with the big guitar. But uh, it was such a blessing. And, um, you know, because no one played upright bass, I just got thrown into, like, basically the first team of music. And was suddenly like playing with the bigger guys and, and in the bigger classes and stuff. And then through that, it just kind of really like, uh, it was like a sink or swim thing. And just, you know, fell in love with jazz. Same as Dave, he was playing sax, I was playing bass. So these were very jazz-centric instruments. And we, we just fell in love with that music. And it's kind of like the gateway, just learning all those cool blues songs when you're a kid. And you're like, oh, wow, this is actually really cool. And then, yes, we met at university. And I just knew from probably when I was about 11 that like music was going to be my life. It's a calling. It's not really a job, I'd say. Well, it's your passion. For sure. So if you, if it's your passion, then it's not your job. It's not a job. You get paid yeah. for doing what you love. The one, the one thing I can just interject there with Dom's story is that he, he neglected to say he also has perfect pitch, which I think is also one of the reasons why the double bass was a good fit for him because yeah. – it's like a, there's no, I mean, for someone who doesn't know musical instruments well, it's not like a guitar which has frets where you can know where to put your finger. You have to hear where to put your fingers, right? So having perfect pitch definitely helps you. You know, you literally have a radar gun on you the whole time. <laughs> I should have been a cop. <laughs> you should have been a cop. So what was this machine, this magic machine that you mentioned? Um, yeah, we were, we were at uni and Dave, Dave and I were like, you know, playing each other. Like you said, Fatboy Slim, Saint Germain, Crudon Dorfmeister, Moby. And we were like, OMG, these guys are all playing jazz sample kind of, uh, music. 
but they'd kind of updated it to what we were into in the time, which was like, you know, like an electronic hybrid of the two. Um, and there was this piece of gear. I started out with something that was made by Roland, the 505, the MC 505. And then I got one which had actually audio sampling in it. And uh, that was the MC 909. And that was a way to sequence like dance beats, but then go and sample like those records and kind of make our own remixes and stuff. And, and then it was just off to the races for us. We were like, OMG, we can just jam for hours with this piece of gear. Dave could play sax and drop, you know, other vocal samples on top of it. It was just like the most fun we've ever had. It was so funny because we'd been playing jazz and, you know, we'd like get our mates to come watch shows. We're like, hey, we're playing this thing. And they'd come and they'd be like, wow, you guys are, that was really interesting. That was really good. Uh, and <laughs> our, our first our first gig with Goldfish and we actually played it sit, sitting down because <laughs> we had all this like studio gear. We just brought everything, including Dave's 486 Pentium when we set it up in a club and and we basically had our studio in the club and, and we just jammed for like a couple hours and then people kind of came up to us afterwards and like, when's the next time you're playing? And it had gone from that was interesting to when's the next time you're playing or can I get on the guest list? And a few other bits of positive, uh, sort of constructive feedback, like maybe next show you should try playing standing up, which <laughs> hadn't occurred yeah. um, playing goldfish sitting down is kind of weird. But yeah, it was just a really uh, organic and innocent kind of uh, journey into like discovering we could make this kind of music and still be musicians. Because I think up until that point, point, we'd always thought of electronic music as exclusively a DJ thing and like, how did we bring our instruments into that? Who was the first person who brought up the change from jazz to the dance music or the house music? Or was it mutually exclusive that you guys both said it at the same time? We were on that same drive out to that gig in Rubik Castile um, and we were playing. And, and David had actually been working with a, a French producer who sadly passed away, a friend of ours, Brees. Uh, he'd been doing some stuff with him and he played me this thing. And I was like, dude, well, I've got this sequencer and I'm freaking jamming away on my own. We should like play a gig like that. I remember saying to you in the car, and you were like, oh, okay, let's let's do something. That was a moment yeah, for me. I came up through a couple bands, like, in school, and then we actually toured a bit with Dorp around the country, and we ended up in the studio recording albums because you had to go to real studios, like, not that long ago. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't do everything just with a laptop. I remember, like, loving the studio environment and being like, wow, this is just amazing you can you can record this amazing music that we've only ever just done live you know and then i think i, I learned like a lot of like technical knowledge from those times uh just you know you meet people and meet engineers and meet all these people and then along the way um actually met Brees, who Brees cooler who he was uh from he was from strasbourg uh but he's french and he uh, he had been producing like house music at the time, and I was like, "Oh, what is this? Uh, like, you know, how do we? How do I? I've been in like bands and stuff." And then mm. he came along, and he was like, "Ah!" And then he needed someone to write songs with him because he was wasn't really English, wasn't his first language. So I helped him out with that kind of stuff, and then it kind of he he taught me a whole lot of like stuff about production and that and that's that's kind of like where that moment uh, arrived at Dom was saying like I'd done some stuff with him you know played it to Dom and like Dom obviously geez that's a really good memory there old Dom like we have a, <laughs> the name the name Goldfish comes around was stemmed from Dom's bad short-term memory but his long-term memory on the other hand <laughs> is crystal clear it's like a telescope geez like, that's amazing it's an amazing memory um because Dom and I's uh 
our kind of musical upbringing really aligned really well because of you know Dom playing keyboards, bass, jazz, and we'd really been in like a, a band already for like a couple of years. You know, <laughs> we'd vetted each other. <laughs> we'd vetted each other. There was a moment during all of that where I think we did that first gig. Um, I don't know if you know Evan Milton. It was for his birthday. He was a well, he is a a, a journalist. He used to work for the Argus uh, music uh, entertainment section back in the day, okay. and he actually phoned us up and said he phoned me up and said, "Dave, I heard you like I've heard via the grapevine that you're doing something else, and uh, I'm having this birthday party, and I really want to have like cool new stuff." And so I was like, "Well, I don't know about cool, but." definitely new <laughs> so that's actually where we played that very first gig um and we took all our equipment from the studio and we set it up and we were sitting down which is hilarious <laughs> maybe when we like really old fish one day we'll do the same thing like hi there we're here to play some house music for you <laughs> So is that the real reason why the band's name is Goldfish? Because of Dom's short-term memory. If you've ever been in a band, there's always banter. Everyone's mm. always like, there's always a high level of banter going on the whole time. And there was a moment where Dom had like done one or two things in a row that were kind of Goldfish-esque, like just leaving his <laughs> wallet behind or putting his cell phone on the roof of his car and driving off. And and then, you know, that's kind of sparked a little bit of banter of me telling him, hey, goldfish, like, da, da, da. you know, you got a three-second memory. You just forgot that you put your phone on top and off you went. I've got, then, I have got a lot better, admittedly, I'm much better. I'm a responsible I'm a responsible adult. He discovered nootropic mushrooms, and I can remember back like till before he was born. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, that is actually the reason. Let's dive into your creative process. So when you're creating a new piece of music or a song, so from zero to three to four minutes, is that process easy every time? Is it the same every time? What motivates it? Let's unpack that whole journey. Definitely not the Definitely. same every time. I could give you that for free. <laughs> I think the, the the most important thing up front, just to kind of preamble this whole thing, is that one of the successes that Dom and I have had over the years is that we have a, a we've we've really had a joint vision creatively, where we've always been striving for the same thing, and I think that has helped the creative process, you know. And I think that's one of the main reasons why. We're still making music after all these years. Yeah, Dom, you jump in there. Um, I sort of think about it now, having done Goldfish for so many years. I don't even know what it is now, 16, 17 years. Um, it's like a walk on the beach, and uh, you're just walking along, and you're collecting seashells. Um, you mean not a walk in the or, park? Or pebbles, <laughs> definitely. Well, for me, it's a walk on the beach. That's kind of the metaphor I'm going for here. But uh, song ideas will be like a little seashell. You'll like be like, oh, that looks cool, or a little pebble something that you want to sort of collect and pick up. And, um, you know, we don't even know sometimes where it's going to go. Sometimes you keep that little pebble for a couple of years, three years, four years, where you know before you know where you want to put it in your garden, let's say. We're going with the metaphor. But uh, it, is like, it is like that. We've had some songs which have been like three or four-year pro like processes from, you know, recording the vocal or finding the sample or having the song idea. Um, and uh, I think it's sort of like sometimes – if you're not sure what to do with it, it's like being a sculptor and you're sort of halfway through like chipping away at something and then you like step back and you look at it and like, 
you don't want to mess this up. You're like, I, if I don't know what I'm doing yet, I don't want this thing feels, this thing feels like it's going to be something. So sometimes we'll leave that and then we'll come back to it, you know, a few, a few weeks later or a few days later or a few years later. Yeah. So like Dave says, every song is different. It's a different shell. It's a different pebble. It's a different idea. We'll have, sometimes it's a, an idea we've had uh, at a show. Songs like Soundtracks and Comebacks or Hold Tight have been songs that we've kind of come out of jamming at a show at the end of another song where, you know, the song's playing out and it's just some beats and Dave will start playing a sax riff or I'll start playing a chord progression and Dave, I'll never forget when we made soundtracks and comebacks, I played this riff once and he was like, don't forget that. That's sick. And of course, short term <laughs> memory, I forgot it. Uh, and it took a few weeks for it to come back to me it, because it, that's how it sort of works. It's like in the ether and you're, I yes. guess, pull it back again. It's like in your subconscious, and, uh, I guess. Yeah. Or wherever that all these ideas come from. Um, I don't even think they're really ours. We're just putting our kind of lens on them. You know, soundtracks and comebacks was like that. Whole type was like that. Uh, more recently, we've had songs like "If uh, Everything Is Changing" with Julia Church. We recorded that with her four years ago. Um, I think it was actually longer. At now longer. I think it was like six years ago. Six, yeah, crazy. You know, we made multiple versions of the song, and none of them just felt like the version. And then we were stuck in lockdown, and we started chatting again. We were like, "We have this song called Everything Is Changing,' and it feels like the whole world is changing." And I think we were just in the right creative and emotional state to figure out how to bring that song to life and and then other songs have been you know like three days bam absolute power kind of came together in like a few moments you know when i see like documentaries about you know bands going into the studio and sitting there for like a month or two and recording their album and then leaving and then they have this album and off they go on tour i'm like ah wouldn't that be nice you could just like a month or two and pop a whole album out the interesting thing with electronic music is that there's literally nothing stopping you doing anything. So the color palette is is unlimited, which it creates quite an issue because when you can do anything, what do you do? Okay. It can cause a certain amount of creative paralysis because you can be, but we we could do this or we could do that or and or what what's the best way to take this like take that little pebble like Dom was saying, like what is the best way to take that amazing idea that we've had and turn it into a song? Because sometimes an amazing idea is just like a really small, like kernel. Sometimes it's a big thing, you know, like for instance, our new album and song, which is coming out soon, very soon is it's the the title track of the album. And it's, that's a kernel. It was like, if summer was a sound, right. That was the little pebble that was picked up along the beach somewhere. <laughs> start, with, start with start with a question. It was like a question, like "What is goldfish?" And yeah. we were just kind of brainstorming that. I remember walking back from the beach one day, and I was like, "Well, the the word summer has been abused, especially in electronic music and tropical music. There's it's almost become like um, elevator music. Um, yeah. Something I take quite personally." <laughs> <laughs> it kind of annoys me. And it's been commercialized and kind of made into something kind of icky. Sometimes, not always. And I sort of feel like we've been making this kind of sound for forever. We've lived a, a life and a career of living pretty much always in summer, living between Cape Town. And then we'd spend the summers in Ibiza for seven years. That was our dance music university for sure. And, you know, when we make a song, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's, you guys just make me think of summer. So that was kind of the question. What is that thing? And music can be that, like Dave always says to me, it's a, a form of escape, escapism, a place you can just escape to a time or a place in your life, which is just a, 
it's the most incredible thing about music. And so we started with that question, like, what is goldfish? And I sort of just said to Dave, I, I had this phrase just come to me. I was like, if summer was a sound. And then it was like, how do we make that into something beautiful and, and heartfelt, but not cheesy? So hopefully we've done that. You know, we're, we're living in a world where, I mean, I've been saying this for a long time, but like everything's kind of been done before. Yeah. It's like, and now, and now it's going to get even more gnarly because like the computers are going to make that, they're going to like drill down on all that and make it even yeah. more like that. So, you know, I think the, the essence of Goldfish has always been like to make music that can stand the test of time, you know, and, and then on top of that, making music, which is, unique to us you know i think the, the overall the overarching concept behind goldfish has always been how do we make something that is unique you know when we when we have these inspirations how do you get it to the end line and not sound like a, just the same thing as everyone else is putting out at that time you know i mean that stems from growing up in music being exposed to incredible people through the years for instance i had a you know i had a saxophone teacher in university, Rene McLean, son of Jackie McLean, the famous bebop uh, saxophone player, you know, he was like, well, when you're improvising and you come around to, you know, the, the, the generally like jazz um, forms have like a some sort of cycle to them. There's a form, whether it's 12 bars, 16 bars, 32 bars, or even bigger, but there is always a form to some degree. And it's like, when you come back around to that form, if you play the same thing again, you're being redundant, what you're doing is obsolete. You need to keep on developing your ideas and you need to keep on moving into, into new areas because that's the only way you're ever going to stretch beyond what's already been done. And, and you know, that translated like really well for me personally, you know, also growing up and playing in bands in like the late nineties where it was like coming out of the grunge scene and everything was kind of felt very like this is the way that it was done. Music was done. It was coming from America. You had really had the hair band kind of rock come through. Then you were having that and grunge coming through. And then South Africa opened up and there was all these bands like popping up, like, you know, like Dorp and Springbok New Girls. Yeah. And there was a huge kind of emphasis for with most of those guys for doing something unique, not just trying to like hear what was going be a on wannabe, yeah, American in the U S there were some guys who were wannabes and there's always going to be some people who are, who just are really good at aping other stuff. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a whole, you know, musical industry <laughs> based on that. When it comes to jazz music, electronic music, when it comes to comp composing music and I feel like the onus is always on you to try and achieve something unique yeah. along with all the other obstacles that there are in place with creating music of like coming up with a good idea in the very first place. And then, you know, the band yeah. stayed together long enough that they actually, most of the time, I think a lot of bands don't even make it just because they didn't stay together long enough. I remember we watched a few bands out of South Africa that we were super pumped on when we were younger and like, Oh, these guys are going to be amazing. But they know to only hear that, you know, they split up or, you know, someone in the band decided he was going to, you know, go into IT or whatever it yeah. was, which is fine. But uh, it's a really tricky and hard thing. Dom, you and Dave talk about trying to do better each time when you create something. We are subjective and we'll be like, okay, this sounds like this, but it's actually not sounding like that. It's just because you've used it previously in another song. 
So how did you take yourself out of the equation in order for you to realize, okay, cool, this is sounding different? I think it's about asking ourselves, does this sound like goldfish? I think Dave and I almost have a tacit unspoken agreement. It's a in the cloud idea about what that is. Okay. And that's obviously evolved over time. But I think we both know when it's feeling like, ah, I'd say that's about the closest way I could really sort of say, does this feel like goldfish? Does this sound like goldfish? Um, you know, sometimes we go off and do something and play it to each other and we're like, it needs that X factor of whatever goldfish brings to electronic music that makes it like sound like us because um that's the other thing with all the algorithms and social media and how everything works these days you've got so much information coming at you the whole time yeah. which can give you a kind of an echo chamber and and it influences you without even realizing so, so to stay true to what you're trying to achieve and your sound and like no we will not follow the trend or no we won't feel that like enormous pressure to be a certain way and just yeah. go no this is who we are uh for better or worse i think Maybe that's why we're still here. But obviously that has changed from 16 years ago. So what was Goldfish then is now different to now, correct? <laughs> 100%. You know, yeah. I mean, Dom kind of alluded to it before, but the one I'd say the one big moment in our career was going to Ibiza in Spain for the first time and then subsequently going there for like seven or eight years regularly over summer for three, four months at a time. You know, after doing jazz at university, that for us was really our dance music university. So yeah. that was that was like a, a huge evolutionary moment for us, um, or just many moments. But And over time, that, our sound developed and it took shape um, through those things. But I, I think the core umbrella thoughts about what you're going to do that I mentioned earlier, like doing something unique, doing something organic, doing something with which goes on all our experiences, all our influences, that has always held true. And I think that is the overarching reason why I think Goldfish is like, even though our sound has evolved, because everything needs to evolve. If you yeah. just, You can't just keep on making the same song over and over again. You already made that song. Uh, you don't need to make people think people think they want that from you i think that's actually the lesson you know we've had that a couple times oh make another real deal or make another moonwalk away or make another soundtracks and comebacks and we've watched other artists do that like create like almost a a photocopy of their hit it leads back into the the whole like concept of being redundant you could be redundant on yourself you could be redundant because you're doing something that you know you're just really rehashing something uh, it it really just depends on what your concept is personally and what you want to achieve. And I think from our side, it's always been to try and like push ourselves creatively and push our music, you know, into new areas and but still keep what keeps us intrinsically being goldfish. I guess, and it just kind of answers your the other part of your question. It's kind of like, you know, sometimes it involves like having some trusted ears to play something to as well. Yeah. You know, people who've like, my wife's heard a million of our songs and heard us create a million of the songs. And uh, it's, uh, it's also a good, like to be able to have a few people that you can play something to and go engage the first reaction. Is it a smile or is it like a frown? Was it a frown reaction or was it like <laughs> a smile reaction? 
And obviously, at the end of the day, it's about what how we feel about the music, really. But every now and again, you <laughs> every feel now like they give us that feedback, and you're like, it you, "I don't actually care what you think. I'm still doing this." But you feel, you know, sometimes you feel like you're in an echo chamber, your own little echo chamber, and you need a little bit of outside influence, or not even influence, just perspective. And it, the most interesting phenomenon that we've discovered is you can be listening to a song over and over again producing it and you can go listen to that exact same song in a different environment with someone else listening or in the exact same environment but with a new set of ears in the room here listening to it and a whole lot of stuff suddenly like crops up yeah to you you don't even have to you don't have to they don't have to say a thing you don't even have to look at them it's almost like a quantum thing where if it's if the particles being observed it does something different Something like that. I swear, well, like, I, it's you know, your, you listen I, to it and suddenly you know, oh, that's what's wrong. Now you suddenly got a, an audience, even if it's an audience of one or yeah. two, and that immediately you kind yeah, of... You can't kid yourself. You gauge, in, <laughs> you, I think you gauge off their reaction, you, not like from what they say, uh, like yeah. people's, like, just their... The electromagneticness. Their, their, their mannerisms or their, maybe just their energy their in the room, yeah. their presence in the room. I don't know. It's, you don't want to get too, like, highfalutin and this stuff, but who knows? And that's a very interesting one. The other interesting thing that also we've noticed is that if you play a show and you've just had a Red Bull or two double espressos, the music sounds slower. <laughs> it sounds that, slower. Why could that be? The music sounds slower, and the only the and it's the weirdest thing has happened to both of us where we've like looked at the tempo of whatever is controlling the tempo and been like, I swear it was like five beats a minute slower than it should be. And I can the only thing I can attribute to it to is that those things like speed up your mind, speed yeah. your brain up, and so perception, yeah, your perception is going faster because your brain's like Woo! <laughs> and then the the gaps between the notes like they they space out because your your brain's time is now like sped up the yeah. weird i don't know maybe i'm wrong I, guys i'm not sure if you're aware of nlp neurolinguistic programming so people yeah. either uh, process information visually they create a picture audio they hear the words or kinesthetically is about the feeling so dom you already said that you saw colors with music Dave, when you hear music by other artists or even your own own music, do you see a picture? Do you hear the words or do you get the feeling of the song? Hmm. That's very interesting. Uh, I, th- I think it's the, I think the first thing that strikes me on any song is the feeling. You know, listening to music once you've studied music for so long is a very complex operation because there's so many layers that you, that you are immediately dissecting. You're dissecting the lyrics. You're dissecting the, the the audio quality of each sound and the, the 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 decisions that the producer or the musicians made for their sounds and for the notes that they played where they that the feel the feeling of each note the the uniqueness of the vocal the the feeling of the vocal is the folk does the vocal like feel sincere does it hit you in the feels so I don't know I, I feel like Maybe, uh, you know, our response to that question is a little bit more complicated because of that, I would guess. But I love that. So I think all those things come together. And that's kind of where a lot of the music that we gravitate towards really like touches on all those little things. And it has the sincerity. It has the vibe. You know, that's where a lot of, a lot of tracks that sampling old super cool records 
you know, really get like a, they get like a elevated status musically yeah. in that because they've got this like legacy nostalgia, this feel they've been recorded in studios in the seventies with like valve amps. And they were all in a, or they were all in a room together where they recorded that there was like electricity on tape. There was electricity going on. There was, there was, was recorded on to tape. It wasn't digital. There's all those things. And obviously nowadays with technology, they, they can replace a lot of that stuff in a fairly effective way. But you can't replace the, you know, the the performance of a of a vocalist singing something like they that they, they like they mean it. And you can't make a, a vocalist sound more unique. They either are unique or they're not. And if you think about a lot of the most famous voices out there, most of them sound like no one else. And a lot of them are like not even the greatest singers, like vocalists, like from a technical perspective. But they, from a unique perspective, they are head and shoulders above like everyone. Yeah. It's not like everyone who's a famous singer is a can has the range of an opera singer. I just wanted to add to that as something that just came to me as well. And do this a lot, but I compare music to food. I think they're very similar things. Music's almost like a nourishment for the soul, and food's a nourishment for the body. But when you're asking like, how do we listen to music, or how do, how does Dave listen to music? It's like a chef going into a restaurant for the first time as a guest, and you sit down. And a normal person will sit in a restaurant and they won't know why they like the place. They won't realize that there's been a perfect dimming of the lighting and they've chosen the exact same, the exact kind of warm lighting and the the feeling of the booth or the gentle music in the background that's already created an environment for them to just have this experience. And then the plate comes to the table and they just eat it and they take it on face value and they're just like, was it good or it wasn't? Whereas yeah. I think for a chef, you sit down and you're like, hmm, I see they've got the volume of the music. It's this. And I think the lights are a little too dark. Uh, weird how the maitre d' is doing that. Uh, the food arrives and, oh, that's a little bit cold. Wow, interesting how they did the julienne vegetables. Mm, I wouldn't have done this to the steak. Da, 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 da. So all of those things kind of come into that for us as musicians as well when you hear a song. And sometimes that can be an awful thing because you just – want to freaking listen to the song and just <laughs> yes. love it for what it is. Yeah. But your natural instinct is to just jump in there and be like, okay, how did they make this? How did they do this? What yeah. is this thing? And you actually need to step away from that and remember, uh, like, I'm trying to get a feeling here. Another thing that just to go along with what Dom said, like the amazing thing with taste and sound is there are two amazing memory triggers. True. How many and times? Smell, yeah. Oh, and, sm- and smell. Smell is actually, yeah. I think, the biggest one. You know, for me, I remember we're going to Europe for the first time and the smell of like espresso coffee that I'd never experienced before. Yeah. And that smell to this day, if I hit, if I smell that, that sort of freshly kind of pulled shot of espresso somewhere, it's like I'm, I'm back there. For us, I think the feel of our music, like the end results of what we've put together with thinking about all those different angles hopefully can form a part of your li- a soundtrack to your life, a soundtrack to moments of your life, and hopefully good ones. That's all the payment you'll ever need as yeah. a, a songwriter or a musician. Like knowing that you've, uh, that, that in some small way you've touched someone's life is just completely crazy and amazing and a huge privilege. Speaking of songs, I love this game. And I recognize that to ask you this question in two days, two weeks, two months, I know your answer will be different every time I ask you this question. So, Dave, you first. If you had to push play to five songs by other artists once we finish this conversation, what would those five songs be and by whom? 
Wow. I would definitely play press play on a Xavier Wright album. You know, having worked on a track with him recently, one, once again, a dude with an amazingly unique voice and an amazing perspective on things from a like, okay, we're going to get out there and we're going to like, we're going to break it loose now. What is that song? I'd probably say like anything by Martin Holger these days, that guy is just pumping out like the most incredible party tunes from a perspective of like, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to listen to some jazz. I generally always uh, gravitate to stuff that I've grown up with and studied really, you know, a lot like John Coltrane or or my go-to songs with him, you know, Moments Notice. And uh, obviously uh, a guy like Miles Davis was such a, he was such an inspiration musically and from a perspective of not being redundant and just always pushing the envelope through his entire musical career. And uh, Kind of Blue, that album, was yep. a breakthrough album. And now with this whole I'm a piano movement coming up and just putting, once again, putting South Africa on the map stylistically for the, with the new genre in the world, because it's definitely popping, um, you know, that'll definitely bring me to, you know, someone like Josiah Disciple. But there's a whole crew of them and they're all doing amazing stuff. And like that feel and that vibe, it's definitely super unique. And it's great to hear something that's unique from Africa that's, you know, spreading out. So I'll definitely put that in there as well. Oh, so Dom, your list. There were some albums that sort of happened around the time of the formative years of Goldfish, which were just absolutely like life-changing for us. One of them was the Verve Remix series. One of those was uh, How Long Has This Been Going On? And it was remixed by MJ Cole. And I remember hearing that. It's like MJ Cole was just a freaking giant. He's still uh, producing to this day uh, in the garage scene. And he just made, in my opinion, one of the best reworks of a track ever. And then Live at the Village Vanguard, uh, Joshua Redmond's Spirit of the Moment is Dave and I have been to the Village Vanguard many, many times. It's the coolest jazz club in the world. It's probably one of the oldest. Um, it's downstairs in New York in the village, and it's tiny, probably holds 60 people. And you sit there, and your freaking heroes are playing right in front of you. I went and watched Joshua Redmond there when I was 19, sat second row from the front and watched Joshua Redmond play. And then he released an album, which he'd recorded then. Jigger Jug's a song I'm thinking of, yeah. on, uh, Spirit of the Moment at Live at the Village for Vanguard. And then... Third would be uh, Saint-Germain, Rose Rouge. I know it's been played a million times, but it is the most perfect quintessential remix of a Deep House jazz sample that there is, I think. Yeah, take five, he he looped it, he doubled it. Uh, He put two versions of it over each other, so it sounds like double time because the original is like... And then he put two next to each other and just moved them a beat apart so they went ding 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 and if obviously you know the song yeah that's just one of those tracks which i think i would listen to forever even number four i'd say virtual insanity jamiroquai i remember hearing that on the radio uh when i was a kid and i was like there's hope for jazz it was on 5fm and they were playing a freaking jazz chord progression and it was a number one worldwide worldwide smash hit uh, the, those piano chords were just like, I was like, yes, this is it. Number five, this is a tough one. Breathe by Taylor Pop Music. I remember hearing that song. Also, I was, I think I was like 17 and I heard it on a car commercial. There was no Shazam. And I was like, what is this song? And it t- I think it took three 
three years for me to find it again. The, the lead singer is uh, Angela McCluskey, who is obviously a complete legend. So the podcast is listened to throughout the world. So as a final message to the listening audience, what would you like to say? Well, go out there, check out our brand new single, If Summer Was a Sound. But the album is of the same name, If Summer Was a Sound, is coming on September 29. So those are two landmark kind of things for us. Uh, we are actually coming back to South Africa in at the end of October. We've got a date that's about to announce in Durban, which is one of our favorite places to play, and it's always hard for us to get there, and in Cape Town. So... We are very pumped, always pumped to come home. Um, we've also got some big shows coming up in London, our Dublin debut, yes. and also ADE, which is the Amsterdam dance event, all happening in October. So October is a big month for us. Uh, excited for that. Uh, always love getting into Europe and always love getting back home. So super pumped for all of that. So, John, as your final message, what would you like to say? Uh, if you've made it this far on the podcast and you don't know who we are, that's pretty much a synopsis of Dom and Dave from Goldfish. If you don't know our music, uh, we've got five and our sixth album coming out, as Dave said, to delve in and dive into. And um, hopefully you've got a, an insight into what makes us tick and why we make the music we do. Check out Goldfish. Check out good music. Yeah. And thanks for listening.